And again, you're listening to Arts on Fire here on WRFA. Jason Sample in the studio with you. Chautauqua County resident Deborah Madar has a, rather is a retired English teacher turned author who's just released her second book entitled Dark Riddle. And we're going to talk about that book and get more details about it. So joining us via telephone is Deb Madar. Deb, thank you so much for talking with us today. I'm glad to talk with you, Jason. Happy to talk with you as well. And to learn more about this new book you wrote, this is not your, your first book, right? As I noted, this is the uh, the second book that you wrote. And I do believe the first time you wrote a book, we spoke with you about that as well, about, what, five or six years ago now? You did, and I still have that interview on my website. So, yes. One, uh, wonderful. We'll, we'll be putting this one on the website as well. Uh, you've just released the second book. It's entitled, as I noted, Dark Riddle. It's, it's a mystery that focuses on a mother's search for understanding as to why and how her seemingly good son, Luke Clayton, participated in a school shooting incident that culminated with him taking his own life. Serious stuff here. What motivated you to want to tackle this kind of a story, which centers on a, a tragic incident that is all too common in today's world? Well, you know, I was in a high school classroom um, in one county school or other for 26 years. And, um, of course, my own sons were in school when Columbine happened. So um, I was very aware and very concerned about that uh, as, a, as a problem of society and a personal one as well. Um, so, of course, that was in the back of my mind from 1999. Um, what, what, I shouldn't use the word trigger, but what, right. what sparked me to think about writing this book was an interview that I read, the only interview that Adam Lanza, the um, Sandy Hook massacre perpetrator, uh, his father did with the New Yorker. And um, the writer of that article, uh, Robert Solomon, is a very, as it turns out, I didn't know it at the time, is a very famous essayist. Um, and when I read that interview, it just, I mean, it just pummeled me to think that this father had no record. He knew his son was troubled. He knew his son had disabilities. Um, but he... He just did not see it coming. And so I read Robert Solomon's essay collection called Far From the Tree, which is accounts of parents who have children who are so different from themselves, who starting, you know, just absolutely, you can't even call it the opposite of them. For instance, there is a chapter on prodigies. Um, there's a chapter on autistic children, and there is a long chapter on school shooters. So, you know, I read that, and I just thought that, you know, that premise uh, is frightening to me, that you would parent a child and not really recognize the potential that they had to do something entirely outside of your realm of imagination. Um, it was, it's a, just the scariest thing to me ever to write about something that scares me the most was scary. Um, so, you know, my character Gina Clayton was born, a mother who, a single mother who is well-intentioned, 
who has a son who she depends upon probably too much, and um, that was the, the setup for the catastrophe. Right. And the rest of the book explores her search for the, the truth of what happened to her son. It, it sounds like you're, you're somewhat alluding to the reason why you gave the book the title Dark Riddle, this uh, fact that a parent spends so much time day in and day out with a child. Uh, they think they, they know their child through and through, and then uh, a tragedy like like this would happen, uh, and, and it turns out that they didn't know as much about their child as they thought they did, and it sort of becomes this uh, this dark riddle. Is it safe to say that's sort of what evoked the uh, giving the book the title that you did? Absolutely. You got it. Absolutely, yes, that's it. Um, and, you know, the, the pieces of the puzzle don't all connect. I mean, I, this is something that I don't wrap up neatly, by the end, um, intentionally. So, and that's that's probably parallels what happens in real life with school shootings too. Is that a parent or society never has all of the answers, and there's always loose ends that will never go answered when it comes to the motive behind something like this, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And then the book explores um, the culture in these lakeside, which, by the way, these, these, this is a fictional, these are fictional communities. I set the book in a fictional central New York, late two lakeside communities, and there is animosity in those communities because of the school merger, which I happen to be very familiar with. Um, I taught, um, so happy to have taught at Chautauqua Lake, and before I, before it was Chautauqua Lake, I had been on the Mayville faculty. So um, as a teacher, I experienced what it's like to go through a merging of two nearby school districts. And I also, I should say, I thought about this. My son reminded me that I was also, as a parent, on exploratory uh, committees. My children attended Westfield. Um, exploratory committees between Ripley and Westfield for years. I mean, in the early 90s, looking into the idea of those schools merging. And so I thought, you know, this is a unique, this is a unique situation, too, that I know about. Um, I take my fictional communities, Jason, uh, basing them on Mayville and Chautauqua only in that they are um, close in proximity, they have been athletic and academic rivals for a few generations. However, I want to make clear that as things go very badly with this merger in my book, they did not go badly with the, the Chautauqua Lake, um, the Chautauqua Mayville merger. I mean, people had their doubts, their anxieties. The kids <laughs> really saw us through it. Um, you know, the adults kind of came screaming and kicking into it. And, um, but as it turned out, everything proved to be well worth it. So am I rambling? Okay, so the, <laughs> that's what I wanted to say is that the communities play a part in this novel, too. I think that I, um, you know, I have an authentic understanding of what that is like. So, right on. So they, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so, so 
so the, um, the, 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 the merging of these schools, is that sort of what some of the blame it's is pointed toward by members yes. in society that are trying to figure Absolutely. out what was Absolutely. sort of a scapegoating going on then? Or not really? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. In, in the attempt to figure this out, you know, it is easy to scapegoat when horrible things happen sometimes. For some, for some people, that's what they do. Um, so, yes, that happens. Um, All right. Uh, again, I'll remind our listeners, we're talking with uh, Deborah Madar, a Chautauqua County resident who has released her second book, Dark Riddle, and it was released at the start of May. We'll give you details on where you can find the book in just a moment. But obviously, you drew a lot from your own personal experience and background and education as well as being a parent. Uh, but because the story centers around fiction, it centers around a fictional tragedy of a school shooting you, I would imagine you also had to do research into the real-life shootings that have taken place, and, and if so, what, was it difficult to research these type of events, and how were you able to cope and get through that? It was very difficult. Um, and on, and be, beyond, beyond that, the difficulty of the research, um, Gary and I, my husband and I winter in uh, southwest Florida and around, about an hour from um, Parkland. And while I was writing the book, the Parkland shooting took place. And we actually participated in a few supportive demonstrations, obviously, for the kids of Parkland. Um, and so, that, yeah, I, it was like this is it just all of a sudden, you know, the universe was in, in synchronicity in a, in a terrible way with what I was researching and writing about. So, yes. And when it comes to character development, you mentioned, obviously, that the characters, especially the one who, who did the, the tragic event of the shooting itself, isn't based on anybody you know personally or have encountered. No. Uh, no, so, well, no. Based on, I, well, yeah, how did you base that character development then on on that? Uh, you know, I, I worked with adolescents who I loved working with for years. And, um, you know, I, I, I think boys get... Uh, they get a dirty deal a lot of the times, especially if they're they're quiet and they mind their manners and they, you know, participate in school and maybe a little bit in sports. But you know, I I, I listen. I've never known that I've had a potential shooter in a classroom. But um, you know, I I thought about that a lot while I was writing. How many of the young men that I taught were you know, dealing with things on their own, where the system, because in the book, the systems, the school system, the communities, not just mom, uh, but those, um, those also fail Luke, who tries to uh, reach out to some people who should have been responsive to his, his uh, crying out. So no and yes. Does that make any sense to you that, uh, no, I'm not basing it on anyone specific, but uh, I have known kids who were quiet and went along, but really, you know, were struggling. Right. And it sounds like that oftentimes people will assume, make the assumption that when an event like this unfolds, the person who did the incident has a, uh, you know, lacks empathy or doesn't 
has has sociopathic tendencies, I think oftentimes is, right. is what people refer to. But it sounds like, you know, the, the character of Luke in your book um, doesn't really go down that road. It, it, it's You're more right. it's more of a, a failing of, of, you know, societal failings or systemic failings in uh, different institutions that he interacts with that, that failed to recognize the um, the challenges he was going through and the problems he was dealing with. Absolutely, Jason. Again, it, it it's not as neat and it's, you know, again, it's a piece of the puzzle of this boy. Um, but I don't think it answers the ultimate question of why. Um, there is a, there's a hook and there's a second main character in my book. Would you like to hear about him? Well, that's actually my <laughs> next question. I was going to say okay. there, there's a key plot point of the story, which centers yeah. around Luke, not providing any motive into why he did the shooting. But like with any good mystery, there is a clue, um, mention what the clue is and, and whether or not, uh, mm-hmm. something like that is common when it comes to these kind of tragedies in real life. What, what was the, the clue in the, in the secondary character that you were just uh, talking about? Okay. Um, on this boy's body, in his pocket of his camo jacket, the coroner finds a folded-up wad of paper, which turns out to be a copy of a published short story called Seneca Optical. And um, it is written by an author, who Adam Stoller, who is a up-and-coming literary rock star um, who has just sold his third novel to HBO and he is in New York when this happens and the news of course makes a lot out of this short story being in his pocket so this author is experiencing this angst as a writer already he is blocked you know he has a, a date that his third novel is supposed to be submitted, um, and he, for some reason, is blocked, is questioning his ability, questioning what it really means to be a writer, and then this happens. So he is just shaken, and what he ends up doing is going to this fictitious community on Heenan Lake, and um, with the mother, although she... She kicks and screams initially that he wants to join her in figuring out what motivated this kid. Um, I write a short story. There's a story within the novel called Seneca Optical, which I would love to tell you about. Please do. Activity readers. This is a, it's, I'm sidetracking a little bit, <clears throat> but one of the publishers who was considering buying the book said, have you had a sensitivity reader? And I, you may know what, do you know what that is? Because I didn't. Sensit- I would imagine maybe it's somebody who helps to editorialize your content before it's finalized. So you right. can uh, acknowledge or recognize what items might be in the book that could, uh, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, hurt somebody or affect somebody's feelings. You're so good. I had to Google it. But yes, you're absolutely <laughs> I'm just assuming, right? right? Okay. <laughs> okay. So because the short story that Adam Stoller writes, he does it for a class that he took at Syracuse University when he was getting his MFA there. And it is an assignment. And the assignment is take an ancient myth and contemporize it. So he looks at a Seneca myth 
about the Thunderbird gods, the deities, and he rewrites it in a contemporary setting. So um, I had to, you know, my, my agent called and said, do you have a sensitivity reader or a Seneca? I don't know. No, I don't. But I reached out to the Salamanca Museum, and they were wonderful. They uh, let me speak with Willie Ground, who is their, um, inter- he, they, I think he's their myth and interpreter assistant director on the museum staff, and he read the book and loved it. And as a matter of fact, he's acknowledged, and because of his help with it, he found that, you know, I had not, I had kept the purity of the myth in spite of the fact of rewriting it, that I hadn't, you know, hadn't prompted any um, bias because of what I wrote. So, I mean, that for me was a little sidetrack on this six-year path, and I really, it was very satisfying. So, and I got to write a short story that's inside the novel. Um, So, Adam Clayton becomes, it's not his name, Adam Stoller becomes very, very, uh, a, a main part of the book by the second part when he joins Gina Clayton in figure, trying to figure out what happened. All right. We don't want to give away uh, too much more of how no, it ends. No, no, although, I'm although, yeah, yeah. And, and, and as you indicated, obviously, it's not all neat and tidy by the end, as you would imagine a situation like this would be in real life. So it, so it plays out in, in your book. And again, we're talking with Deb Madar, who's the author of Dark Riddle. It was released at the start of May. And Deb, of course, a uh, county resident, former teacher, and releasing her second book. So, so one final point or a couple final points I wanted to uh, ask you about, Deb, when it comes to your book is you open the book with a quote by Susan. Klebold, and the quote goes, for love's sake, we must never stop trying to know the unknowable. Can you remind our listeners who Susan Klebold is and and why you wanted to open with her quote? Yes, Susan Klebold is Dylan Klebold's mother. Um, He was one of the two shooters in Columbine. Uh, She has been the most public of of the the parents uh, of those those boys and i mean she's done a ted talk recently and she actually released a book last year i believe again synchronicity i was writing this book and she released her i'm sure it's an almost like an autobiography it's her memoir about about dylan and about her um experience so i just thought that was the perfect quote for this book um, you know, this mother, Gina Clayton, is searching for perhaps the unknowable, but she does it because she very much loved her son. And um, so I thought that was a good beginning. All right. And what do you hope readers are going to take away from the story after they finish reading it? Well, without trying to be too heavy-handed, because, you know, I've been trying not to do that for the years I've spent writing the book and promoting it, um, to, to open your eyes really, really wide. <laughs> if you have an adolescent child, um, listen, 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 listen to their friends. Make sure that there are systems in place in their schools and in their, their community and the activities they participate in, supportive um, Places for soft places for them to fall. Don't always take their first response as the absolute truth. And I mean, you know, and it ain't easy. 
you know, I, I, um, you know, every parent of an adolescent has has experienced some sort of anguish. Not, not in these proportions, but it's, um, it's not an easy job to to parent a teenager. Right. Um, it, I was going to say that you know also the not only the readers who will be reading this book really isn't a specific audience. It's not just intended for parents or teachers. I mean, obviously, it's it's a mystery. So people yeah. who enjoy mysteries would also get a takeaway out of this as well. It's really, I, I guess, what I'm saying is you don't really have it confined to just one one type of audience that that should be reading this. I do not, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, my my sixteen year old grandson has chosen it for his advanced English summer reading. So, and I thought about it, and I thought, is this is this good for kids? Yeah, it's absolutely. So, yes, thank you for pointing that out. Um, it is definitely meant to appeal to a wide range of readers, and I've been getting um, commentary and wonderful. <laughs> thoughts from people all over the place who who have uh, looked at it and found something unique in it, you know? Um, so, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. And I'll make a confession. When you contacted me about this book, I had said that I'm awfully busy, so unfortunately I wouldn't have time to pick it up and read it. But but after having this conversation, I'm even more intrigued about it. So I, I probably will be uh, getting a copy and picking it up and reading it as well. So uh, Fantas- thank well, you. fantastic. And let me give you, let me put in a plug for Bob Lingle and Off the Beaten Path Books because it's there. That's what I was going <laughs> to ask. Well, what, if somebody like myself or anybody else who's listening, where can we find the book if, if they want to buy it or purchase it? Well, you can certainly buy it on Amazon, but Bob Lingle, if you're in the area, which I assume you are if you're hearing this broadcast, uh, has it at Off the Beaten Path, and it's like a buck fifty cheaper with him, um, right. and doesn't hurt doesn't hurt me, and it doesn't hurt him. So he's got a, a special. My publisher has a special thing going for independent bookstores, and again, it's it's available as an ebook on Amazon. Okay, and, and with uh, with Bob's business off the beaten path in, in Lakewood, on uh, the historic part of Lakewood, I know with COVID-19, some retail businesses were not able to open, but I think this week they were allowed to, so I would assume that um, his shop is at least open, if not on its regular hours, on a, on a limited basis, and more details probably can be found online yeah, on its ac- website. According to his, uh, po- yes, according to his Facebook post, it, he's open again. Super. Yes. And, it, I mean, he's been taking orders throughout this time. He is, uh, yeah, he, he's a treasure. So, um, yes, he is. Let's keep him. Let's keep him. <laughs> Sounds good. Anything else you want to add, Deb, before we wrap it up? No, I just want to thank you, Jason, very much. Um, it's, you know, we're living through these troubling times, and I know that this book sounds perhaps like um, it's not exactly light reading, but I think it's... Um, what do I want to say? I think it's a compelling enough story that people will, and it's important, too, as an issue. So I hope people pick it up. I, I'm sure they will. It sounds very, uh, like an interesting read and a very uh, thought-provoking read after the fact as well. It uh, gives people an opportunity to, to think and reflect on, on the story and, and the issue that it, that it tackles. So thank you so much for putting it together. We do appreciate it. Uh, Deb Madar, well, thank you. hopefully you're, you're, you haven't put down your pen and uh, maybe 
Maybe it'll take you another number six th- years to put together another book or not. I, I don't know. It's not happening. But I do have number three underway. I am definitely pushing through this one, though. Super. So, <laughs> we'll talk with you again Thanks. once number three comes out. In the meantime, <laughs> right. uh, Deb made our, her great. book. Yeah, your book is Dark Riddle. As we noted, you can find it at Off the Beaten Path as well as Amazon. Thank you so much, Deb, for talking with us today on Arts on Fire. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jason.